Well, good morning. Do you remember last week we were talking in Philemon? So today we're just going to be continuing that study in Philemon. Um, and a quick review for last week. We were talking in Philemon, uh, verses 1 through 7. Um, and if you recall, this is a letter that Paul is sending to Philemon in order that Philemon will forgive Onesimus, who is a runaway slave who ran away from Philemon. And in so with running away, he also likely stole something. So he has to ask forgiveness for running away and for also stealing something. And we learned a lot, right? The first three verses there are the greetings, which was a customary for letters, um, even in the secular world for the day. And he's writing to a lot of people, right? Not only Philemon, but his family and also the church that is there. So Philemon and Onesimus serve as an example to other believers in the church. I'm in verses 4 through 7, we're talking about Philemon and his good character, right? We were talking about the character of one who forgives. And because of Philemon's good character, Paul is refreshed, and so are all of the saints, right? In verse 7, it says, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love. So he gets this joy and comfort from him, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And that's where we ended And so today we're going to be taking a look at verses 8 through 18 to see the actions of one who forgives. And so before we do that, let's actually just open, um, actually, in a word of prayer. (laughs) And so let's pray real quick. Father, we just thank you and praise you for um, this wonderful day that you have given us. And I pray now that you would give me the wisdom uh, that I need and that the words I say would be truth, um, truth that can be applied to our lives and the truth that will remain for eternity because you are an eternal God. And we just thank you for giving Paul the ability to write this book of Philemon, this beautiful book on forgiveness, that we can study it today and know that it still applies to us today. And we just thank you and praise you for everything you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And so let's read these verses. It says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man now, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that the goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord." So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. And that's where we're going to end the study. So a lot happens in these few verses, right? And we really see the actions of one who forgives. But the first thing we need to kind of tackle, so to speak, is true forgiveness needs willingness, 
And so Paul here in verse 8, he says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. Verse 9 also. And so first we have to see that Paul has apostolic authority, right? He literally could command him to do what was required, to forgive Philemon, right? And we're going to take a look at this, right? He was an apostle commissioned by God. And we can turn to 1 Corinthians 9, 1 through 2, which says, as Paul speaking, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? So we see here, he is claiming to be an apostle and has that apostolic authority. I'm not only that, but if we turn over to 1 Corinthians 12, 28, we can expand on this thought a little bit. Um, 12.28, which says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping administrative, and various kinds of tongues. Right? So first apostles. So they were people who had seen Jesus Christ. They were apostles who had authority first. And then finally, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 4.21. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in spirit of gentleness? So he had the power to command obedience, right? He was saying, should I come to you with a rod because I could do that? Or should I come with you in love? And that's really what we see Paul doing right here, right? In Philemon, going back to our book. He says, though I'm bold enough to command you to do, right? I could do this. It is within my power as an apostolic or as an apostle, right? Um, that's why he's bold enough, right? But rather, he prefers love. He says, "Yet for love's sake." And this is not a general love for all people, right? This is this is a specific love for Philemon. He's pointing the love at him for your sake, because I love you. I prefer to appeal to you. I don't want to command you to do this. Um, because as we learned last week, right, he knows Philemon will do this because of his good character. So he just wants to appeal to him. And so it is this love that is going to compel Philemon to do what is good. Um, and we have to remember that at this point that Philemon is likely enraged at Onesimus, right? Onesimus is still someone who stole from him and ran away from him. And so at this point, Paul kind of has to discourage any hostility that might happen at the initial site of Onesimus, right? And so Paul appeals to Philemon in two ways, right? Instead of commanding him, he's saying, well, he appeals in two ways. He says, first, he says, I, Paul, an old man... And now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. And if you remember, we've seen the a prisoner for Christ Jesus in the introduction, right? In the greeting, in verse 1 there. And so, but first of all, he says an old man. Um, this is both experientially and in actual old age. And so he was around 60, um, but for the times, right, this was actually considered an older man. So he was quite literally an old man at the time, and then he, when you consider Paul and all that he had done, right, we have most of the New Testament um, that was written by him, 
Um, he had more than 60 years of experience packed into one lifetime, right? He had, you could say, many lifetimes packed into one. And I've read this before, but if you turn to Second Corinthians, we won't read the whole thing, but 11, 23 through 30, we really see a good example of what Paul went through in his life, just how much experience he had. He says, are they servants of Christ? Am I... Am I a better one? Uh, I am talking like a madman. Then, well, we could go down to like verse 24. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less than one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, and so on and so forth, right? These are all the experiences that Paul went through as a servant of Jesus Christ, right? And not only that, he leads to his next appeal, which is a prisoner for Christ. That's where it ultimately got him. And again, we talked about this last right week, right? He was in Rome as a prisoner, but he wasn't a prisoner of Rome. He was a prisoner for Jesus Christ. This is a time where you are in prison, but it is a noble way to be in prison because you are there for a noble cause. It's what you could call honorable suffering, So he is a well-known leader who has experienced much. He was an old man, and now he is in chains for the sake of Christ. And when you think about this, Paul is writing to Philemon, and how could he turn down the request from Paul in this situation? If I ever got this letter from Paul, hearing all these things, knowing who Paul is, how could I not forgive Onesimus? And not only that, but this request is very personal from Paul. Not only does he call Onesimus a child, and we'll get into that a little bit later on, um, but within the letter, Paul uses the word I eight times, me seven times, my or mine six times, and myself once. So this is a very personal letter from Paul appealing to Philemon, which he could command him to do, but he's appealing to him out of his good character to forgive Onesimus. And so that leads us right into verses 10 through 14 in Philemon, which says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that I might serve me on my behalf um, during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent, nor that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but out of your own accord. And so what we see here is the uh, relationships reception, uh, the coming together. And when we are thinking about this, we have to take a look. Last week we looked at Philemon. This week let's look at Onesimus, who is the object of forgiveness. He is the one who is seeking forgiveness from Philemon. And so Paul says, for my child Onesimus, right? And Onesimus would have been there, whether he physically handed Philemon the letter, we don't know. You know, he would have been there. How that actually played out is unknown, but we can only imagine Um, So the first thing we see about Onesimus is that he is seeking forgiveness. When you think about that, someone has to initiate to repair a relationship. And Onesimus is there. That is what he is doing. 
And we know he is seeking release, uh, forgiveness because he is there, right? We talked about this last week. We have to remember that he's a runaway slave to do this. Just by being there, he was putting his own life at risk. He is really depending, Onesimus is depending on Philemon not to kill him because that could be the outcome here. Philemon could have saw him and just said, kill him because he ran away, right? That was part of the the culture there. Or in the worst, he could have gotten severe punishment. And so for him to be there, we really see that Onesimus wants to be forgiven. He wouldn't have been there if he didn't want it. So we see that repentant attitude. He is a child seeking forgiveness, okay? Paul calls him my child. And when you think about that, you think about the father and child relationship, right? A child is completely dependent on the father, right? It's not even a son who might be a little older. It's a child. That is who Onesimus is to Paul. And so Paul is sending his beloved child to Philemon, who now can accept him and continue to raise him to be a man of God, right? That's what Paul is telling him. So the first thing is that he had a repentant attitude, or he was seeking forgiveness, Onesimus, that is. But he was also a new man, and we see that in verse 11. He says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful um, to you and to me. And I love that verse 11, and... Um, because we have to notice the play on words that Paul is doing there. If you recall in the week one, I told you what Onesimus' name meant, which was useful. And so when you read this and you just put in Onesimus' name, right? He says, formerly useful was useless to you, but now useful is, uh, now useful is, as indeed useful to you and to me, right? So he's kind of playing on Onesimus' name there. See, he had been changed through grace. Um, and we could turn to Ephesians 2.8, which says, Not a result of works. You have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. That is what had happened through Onesimus. He was saved through this grace. He was radically different. Um, and because of this, he went from being useless to useful. Um, there was not only that, but a distinct change, right? Philemon is going to be able to see this change in Onesimus when he sees him. Um, and you can think of um, 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, but behold, the new has come. See, the old, useless Onesimus was gone. He is now a believer in Christ. He is very useful. He was, um, as you could think of it, he was a slave that feared the Lord. And actually, if you turned to Colossians, um, you would see, you would see that in Colossians 3.22. 322, it says, bond servants obey in everything those who are in earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance 
as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, um, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Um, and then the verse 4 we looked at last week, I believe. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master's in, master in heaven, right? So masters were supposed to treat their slaves with respect, knowing they had a master who was sovereign over all, right? God. But also, he says, if you are in the position of a slave, which when you think about it, we said one-third of Rome was slaves. That means one-third of the people that were being witnessed to were slaves. So this isn't something that the apostles could just straight up ignore. A lot of the converts would have been slaves. And when you think about their position, they would have been even more wanting to be freed from something, right? And especially from their sin. They would have understood this completely. And so he's saying... Pretty much here in these verses that when you are a slave, remember, fear the Lord, do your job, do good for him. So that's what Onesimus had turned into. He was a new creation who feared the Lord. Um, And you can notice the tenses, right? He says, formerly, that being as an unsaved slave when he ran away, was useless. But now, as a believer in Jesus Christ, he is useful, and so he was a new man, we saw in verse 11. And then you look at 12 through 14, and he had proven himself to be faithful. If you read verses 12 through 14, again, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. That's how useful he was. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. See, Paul had not only saved him through grace, but he had also seen the change take place in Onesimus. And so Paul is kind of proving that change personally, right? He says heart here. He says, I'm sending you my very heart. And this word is blanca, which we looked at last week, right? It's his very inner depths, right? That is what it is like for Onesimus to leave Paul. It's like leaving the very depths of Paul. And so that's how much of an impact he had on Paul. And so Paul had experienced him to be a great man who could refresh him, right? But Philemon needs to see that. And we really know that Paul liked him because Paul actually wanted to keep him. That's how much he loved him. Um, And he says, this would have been done on your behalf, right? Um, And this is, you know, he could have done, it's not really super clear what Onesimus was doing for Paul, um, but I would imagine both spiritually and physically was helping him as he was in his chains, right? And he could do whatever Paul wanted him to do, whether it was helping out a church or helping out him personally. But he would do it for the sake of Christ. And so, and it's very interesting too, because in tradition it says that Onesimus eventually became um, a bishop at the Ephesian church. And so... So he was a great help not only to Paul, but also the church, all the churches who Paul was writing to and in that particular area. 
the overall is that Onesimus could be of great service to Paul during his imprisonment for the gospel, okay? And he, and the thing is, Paul knew that Philemon would do this, right? He knew that if he asked Philemon, Philemon would say, yes, you can keep Onesimus with you to help you through this, right? And we know this because we already looked at verses 1 through 7, or 4 through 7, really, which looked at Philemon's good character. And so Paul could assume, right? But he actually knows it's best not to assume that Philemon would be okay with this. And there's one big reason, right? First of all, we have to remember that Onesimus is actually an illegal slave here with Paul, um, even though we don't like the slavery and, you know, nowadays we wouldn't want him to go back to a slave. The reality of the situation, he is illegal. And he could have been being hunted at any moment. There could have been Romans who come in and take Onesimus away, and then his punishment probably would have been even more severe. And so for Paul to actually keep him would have been illegal and also dangerous for Onesimus um, without that signed consent from Philemon. But the other even bigger thing here is that you now have a brother in Christ who is Onesimus, and you have a brother in Christ who is Philemon, and they do not have a good relationship at the moment. One stole from the other and ran away. That relationship has to be repaired. And so Paul not only doesn't want to assume it, but he also knows that Onesimus has to go and repair the relationship, right? And so um, so the decision had to come from Philemon, ultimately. Um, it needs to be out of Philemon's goodness um, for the love of all of the saints, including now Onesimus. Um, he says, on your accord... Uh, because he says, verse 13, I would, uh, on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I forbid to do nothing without your own consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. And so even, so even if Paul wanted, really, to force this, right, to force forgiveness, um, he can't really completely force Philemon to forgive, truly. Right when you think about this, um, forgiveness is something that has to come from the heart. Um, Philemon could forgive outwardly, but Paul wants the relationship not only just to say oh, "I forgive you." He wants the relationship to be restored completely. He wants true forgiveness on the part of Philemon, and so. You consider this, and you think Paul has said he is a spiritual father to both Onesimus and Philemon. And like a father, right, Paul has these two children, one stole from the other. You want to see the child who stole seek forgiveness from the one that he stole from. And you want the child who was stolen from forgive the one who stole, right? Here are these two children. And though you can force the child to say, I forgive you to the one who stole, you cannot change his attitude attitude towards the one who stole, right? So he can outwardly say, oh, I forgive you, but inwardly still hate and not truly forgive. 
And so true forgiveness must come from the heart out of the love from the one who stole, right? And that's what we see here, right? He could command. He could just get Philemon to say, I forgive you. But with that, there could still be that hatred for Onesimus. You can't have that. It needs to be true repentance from Philemon himself, out of his good character, out of love for the saints. And so that's what we need to see. That's what Paul needs to see, right? And so that is um, the reception. And so then, well, I'm getting lost in my notes here, sorry. So we've seen the reception and then, yeah, the relationships reception, sorry. And now, so after that reception, we need to see the relationships restoration. Um, And this is found in verses 15 through 16. And when you think about this, he is part of God's plan. We can't forget that, that being Onesimus, right? And so when you read verses 15 through 16, it says, For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And so he says, for this, and the for this in verse 15 is connecting what was previously said, right? It's a connector. Um, What was previously said is connecting to what he is now going to say. Um, He says he was parted, and this parted is very interesting because it's suggesting that he left um, for something outside of himself, right? The It is the will of God that he was parted from you, right? And because that's really interesting because he could have said that Onesimus left you, right? Or Onesimus ran away from you or Onesimus stole from you. Rather, he says, well, no, Onesimus was parted from you for a while. And so God was working in Onesimus's life in that situation to bring him to Paul who saved him. And he says, for a time, and that for a time is very interesting because it literally, the literal is for an hour. That's like what it's like. And when you think about time and God, right, it's just for an hour, right? You know, and that's was parted for an hour. Um, and now you get to have him back. And right. And when you think about that, what is an hour compared to eternity? What is losing a slave for an hour compared to gaining a brother forever? So Paul has an eternal, spiritual outlook on the situation. He's seeing the bigger picture. Um, He's kind of seeing it from God's perspective, right? And when you think about that, and I was considering this, and I was thinking, do I always see the bigger picture in my trials? Do I just take a step back and say, well, how could God be working in this situation, right? Especially when you think about this, you know, if I... I want to have a slave, but hypothetically, right, someone steals from me and runs away, could I see that big picture of him coming back as a brother and say, well, he parted for me for a time, but now I have him back forever. And so we see a sinful slave who ran away and stole from his master, but God sees a child who parted ways with his earthly master to find him who is master over all. So he is no longer a slave, right? He has returned a beloved brother. And when you think about that beloved brother, right, we could pass by that words easily. 
And you think about the relationships between brothers, right? Not all relationships between brothers are good ones, <laughs> earthly brothers, right? As your actual brothers. Some lack compassion, some lack love, some lack fellowship. So rather than just seeing him as a brother in Christ, right? He wants to see him as a beloved brother in Christ. To see him through Paul's eyes who was his very heart, right, his splanka, as a child. That's how Paul wants him to see him, as a beloved brother. But he says also, in the flesh and in the Lord, which is kind of interesting when you think about it, as in the flesh, as a beloved slave, right, who has been reformed in the flesh, but also in the Lord, as a beloved brother, as a fellow believer in the Lord. So both in the flesh and in the Lord. That is the end of 16. And then he says, but actually, he also continues on. It says, but how much more to you, how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord, right? And so Paul's again kind of pointing to that. You not only have a brother in Christ, but you also have a slave who is a believer who can be used, right? As a slave who is a believer for the gospel, How much more useful is he to you as a believer in Christ who can share his faith with others in his scenario? So that is the a relationships restoration. But then you also have the restitution, the relationships restitution, 17 through 18. He says, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. And that's where we'll end. First of all, we see the replacing of what was stolen. And when you consider this, Onesimus ran away, right? And Onesimus was holding a position as a slave. And so when Onesimus leaves, that means there is a position that is all of a sudden vacant. There's void. So it has to be replaced. So there's cost that is taking place there just by him leaving. Not only that, but it is likely, highly likely, that he stole something, right? Because he says, or owes you anything. Not only did he run away, which would have incurred costs, but also he stole something, which obviously, whether it was a possession, whether it was money, that incurs cost. So Onesimus should pay back for any of that loss, right? Even so, and we can see that through actually numbers all the way back in the Old Testament. Numbers 5... 6 through 8, which says, Speak to the people of Israel, when a man or a woman commits any of the sins that the people commit by breaking faith with the Lord, that person realizes his guilt. He shall confess his sin that he has committed, and he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it and giving it to him whom he did the wrong. That's kind of what we're seeing here, right? Paul is... Not dismissing, right? That's one of the big things, right? Paul is not dismissing uh, dismissing what Onesimus did. He just wants him to see the big picture of what he did and now how he has a brother in Christ and what should this situation do, right? That's why Onesimus is there, to ask for forgiveness for what he did. And it's very interesting because Paul says, charge that to my account. Whatever he did, however he has wronged you, charge that to my account. And when you think about that, Philemon now has two options. Um, and when you think about what we learned in the Old Testament briefly, um, 
neither is really wrong, right? He could completely forgive Onesimus, which would be great. Out of grace and love for who he is, he could just completely say, you know what, I accept you as a brother in Christ, I accept the forgiveness, I forgive you, and just absorb any of that loss that might have happened. But the other thing is, now he could charge it to Paul's account, right? Whatever was lost. Um, And Paul says, I will repay it. Paul has the intention of paying this back if there is anything. This is very important because when you think about Onesimus, Onesimus is a slave, right? Not only that, but a slave who likely wasn't working because who would hire a runaway slave in Rome? Onesimus didn't have anything to pay Philemon back, right? This would have been taken probably his whole life to pay Philemon back. And when you think about also Paul, who is a prisoner in Christ, largely relying on gifts and donations from churches, right? He doesn't have a super amount of money either. Both of them. So now you have Philemon who could charge it to Paul account, who is a prisoner for Christ, an old man, um, who has done much for the sake of Christ and for him personally, because Paul, he was saved through Paul, right? Um, or he could just completely forgive Onesimus. But when you think about that, do you see the beauty in what Paul is doing there, right? And I like what MacArthur wrote. He says, never are we more like Christ than when we forgive, Um, And then he says, never are we more like Christ than when we pay someone else's debt so that reconciliation can take place. So you have Philemon who has wronged and you, who has been wronged and you have Onesimus who has done the wrong and you have Paul who says, the wrong that has been done, act as if it were me and charge it to my account. Do you see that? And he says, put that on my account. This is a business term. It uh, it just simply means that he will assume the debt. And he says, receive him as you would receive me. No longer see a slave who owes you something. See a brother in Christ whose debt has been paid. And do you see the picture of the gospel there? See, like Onesimus, we are slaves, right? We, you could turn to Romans 3, 10. Let's turn there, because this is important. Romans 3, 10. And he says, um, 9, it says, What then? Are we Jews better off? Um, no, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none are righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. And we could continue on to read that all the way to 18. But we get the picture, right? To We, like Onesimus, are slaves to sin. And God will hold us accountable. And we could see that in verse 19. Now, We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God, right? So not only are we not righteous, not doing good, not seeking after God, but we are also being held accountable for that. And alike Onesimus, we have someone who took our place, who took our debt, In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him to be no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
And then we can continue on, right? Like Onesimus, we can stand cleared of debt because someone else paid it. Isaiah 53.11, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Right? And so how beautiful of a picture is that? And Paul is very good at doing this in the letter. And I'm sure this is something that Philemon could have seen. Um, But the reality of the situation is that one day we will die, right? We will stand before a holy and just God. And when you stand before God, either Christ paid the price for your sin or you will for eternity. So you will either stand before him accounted as righteous or condemned. And so you might be like the jailer in Acts 16.30 and say, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. A beautiful picture of the gospel right there for Paul. Here you have Onesimus and Philemon. He's clearing the debt. He's saying, put that on my account. And the beautiful part about that is now Onesimus can have fellowship with Philemon, right? The relationship is restored. That's the goal for this whole letter, right? And like Onesimus, we can have a relationship with the Father, fellowship with him. In 1 John 1, 3, it says, That which we have seen and heard and proclaimed to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ, right? Now, that's the beauty, right? Now, you know, grace and mercy. You are not getting what you are deserved, but you're getting so much more than you deserve. You get to have fellowship with a just and holy God who created all. So Christ took our sin and punishment to place us where we can have fellowship with the Father. And I like what Spurgeon said, and this is where we'll close. He says, They who have, by his grace, believed and have the precious blood been washed have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. They are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And they have access with boldness into the grace wherein he stands. Right? We are no longer strangers to God. We are saints in the household of God. And now we can have communion and fellowship with the Heavenly Father. And that is... Truly beautiful and magnificent. And with that, we are going to have to close in prayer. And so, Father, we thank you again that we have this beautiful little postcard of a letter by Paul to Philemon, asking him to forgive Onesimus um, and treat him not only just as a brother, but as a beloved brother in Christ. Um, to see him as that, who is, as a brother who is useful. And we just thank you and praise you that you gave us this beautiful example of the gospel, um, what you did for us, that you came, and that you took our place on the cross. And so now we can be counted as righteous before you. And we just thank you and praise you for everything you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.